Hi everyone, welcome back to All Group First. I am Jessica Minhas and I am so grateful you're here every single week to listen and to learn and to be encouraged by our incredible guests. I want to give a special thanks to each and every one of you that are listening right now because I launched All Group First pretty quietly in January and because of you, these stories have been listened to in over 20 countries and on six continents. And wow, I am so humbled. I am so honored to be invited into your homes. Thank you so much. My hope is that these topics and these guests and these interviews can be conversation starters with you in your community and with your loved ones. And I really want to know how we can use this podcast to support you with having conversations that might be challenging or exploring things that you haven't explored yet or just learning about things that, you know, on your healing journey could be helpful for you. So please let us know what you'd like to hear more of. This week, Evelise Andino joins us. She is the founder and CEO of Radical Health. Now, Evelise started Radical Health over a dinner table in the Bronx, and its mission is to help empower people to know their healthcare rights. And I mean, gosh, that couldn't be more important than it is right now. But now, from the dinner table, now Radical Health is like really, literally a massive pioneer in AI mobile technology and healthcare equity. It's so neat. Her journey is just incredible how you can take something that you're deeply passionate about, bring in the right people. And now, I mean, she's really championing people. And this episode, I kind of begged her to go into politics and you can hear what she says about that. She shares with us what it was like to grow up in the Bronx, dispels a lot of myths maybe that we've heard about the Bronx and really shows us how to celebrate the uniqueness and the culture there. And she also talks about how she learned how to trust herself and really become who she is after her mother passed. And her perspective on it was really surprising to me and really inspiring. She also talks about what it means to be a mom after you lose your mom. It was a deeply meaningful and uplifting time with her. I, I'm really excited for you to hear it. I really hope you enjoy it. I release Andino for Radical Health. You are a mom as well. You are like boss, boss woman in the Bronx. Yeah. Holding it down. We met. How, how did we meet? We met once at like a mental health panel. Right. We were together. Oh my. We were both on a panel. That was probably a year and a two years ago. Yeah, that was two years ago. I think it was like um, New York Women Entrepreneurs or something. Right. And I heard your story and I just saw your vibe and I was like, I need to be friends with this woman. And then I cyber stalked you on LinkedIn for a little while. That's you know the way that it's done. That's like you know, yeah, the I best was so way. excited <laughs> when when we were able to connect there, and then mm-hmm. we ran into each other at an underserved um, women in underserved healthcare yeah. event um, at SAP, which was very fancy, nice views, very nice view. Um, and what I loved about when I saw you was that we were both wearing leopard print shoes. That's right. Yeah. And I think were we early in the season to bust out the leopard? We totally. I think we were, I mean, yeah, like we September. were totally early. And I, again, that was just like another confirmation mm-hmm. that this woman and I were like vibing. Yeah, soul <laughs> partners in healthcare. Got it. Yeah, it was perfect. It was like perfect alignment. You, um, you are kind of the hero in the Bronx right now when it comes to healthcare. Ooh. I would nominate you as you a would hero. <laughs> yeah, I think. Wow, I don't know that I've ever been called a hero in that regard. I think. 
I'm doing work in healthcare right now. I want to say that there have been heroes before me, especially a yeah. lot of folks, black women, brown women in the Bronx that have like been fighting for a very long time, especially around healthcare. I get to stand on their shoulders and continue that work. So I think right now is a moment in time where I'm doing the work and hopefully there'll be others after me. But I think I, I will take the hero. I will accept the, <laughs> the, the, the praise, but also intentionally um, acknowledging those that have like, been doing this work long before I was even born. I know that's really important to you, just like honoring those who have come before you. When we chatted before, you talk mm -hmm. a lot about how important that is to pay it forward, but also remembering all the work that's been put in. I love what you said, actually. You talked about when you think about how your ancestors came over to the States and how in their eyes, no matter what you're doing, you're already a success. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's... I think I know what it is to be ignored. <laughs> I know what it is to be not be seen for my for my work or to have it co-opted or to, I mean, be invisible in so many ways. And I think that it is totally my duty to look at those who have come before me, to look at those who, I mean, quite honestly, like have, have died, who have fought, who have done all kinds of things so that I would be afforded this opportunity. I think both in my like immediate family but, you know, folks like and Puerto Ricans, like Lolita Lebron, the, the Young Lords, the Black Panthers, who, especially when we look at healthcare, were the first ones really to, like, look at the community, ask the community what they need, and create so many benefits that we see today. And an example of that is, you know, free lunch in schools. You know, it was started by the Black Panthers, where they just honestly started feeding people at a church, feeding kids. And when we look at, you know, lead testing, the Young Lords went door to door testing people for, for lead themselves. And so with this intentionality, it's like, how do we honor that? How do we support that? How do we acknowledge their efforts and their sacrifices so that I could be here today? Yeah, I love that. There's so many things that come to mind, but I do want to take us back a step. So you're, you're Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. Were you born in the States or were you born in Puerto Rico? I was born here in the Bronx. My family, my mom was also born in Brooklyn, but my dad is born in Puerto Rico, raised there, and kind of spent a lot of time kind of going back to the island and, and here in the city. So that kind of culture is really, really ingrained in sort of your life and the, the work that you're doing now. You just mentioned these, I, I mean, the only word that comes to mind is radical because of the name <laughs> of your organization. But you mentioned these these groups of people who were seen by the community as very in your face. Is that sort of a part of the inspiration for the name Radical Health? So what's interesting is Radical Health, the name came about one, I mean, I've worked in healthcare my yeah. whole career. And I, and if we know anything about healthcare, you know, think about like the exam room. Super sterile, super, you know, that minty green, blue color. And I was so sick and tired of being in those spaces, being the only woman of color, being the only woman sometimes. And I, like, I wanted to like shake it. I'm like, this just isn't working for me. It's not working for my community. So when we were thinking about names, I sat with like my, you know, people from my community and started talking about what would health look like. This idea of like transforming and like shaking it um, so that it would be something completely different came about and this theme emerged. And when I started thinking about what are the things that would, I mean, one send a very clear signal that we're not doing things the way that it's been done before, um, that would sound like for the people who wanted something different, they would hear the name Radical Health and be like, aha. Like, that's where wow, I need to be. that totally makes sense. Um, and then the word radical, you know, it means the root, right? So when we think about, like, the root of health, you know, being whether that's, like, our indigenous practices, whether it's, you know, just, like, 
connection or, or however we define that. It's really how do we get to the root of health as defined by our own experiences and not what someone has already like predetermined. I know when we think of entrepreneurship, there is so much to be said about the the way that you have arrived to what the work that you're doing now, mm-hmm. and it is so unique. I would love us to just take a little step back. Walk me through what it was like to be a kid in your neighborhood. Oh, my. So I think of like – this is the, the 90s. This is – I'm a little older. <laughs> How old are you? I'm – 35. Girl, I'm 36. Oh, okay. Stop. Right. So this is like the 80s. I mean, you know, I think about like playing on the I block. I can't with you. I can't with you. You're <laughs> a little older. Maybe a Girl, little I'm older than you. Stop. Okay. Well. Stop. But yeah, so we'll, we'll just pretend it's, it's the 90s yeah. too. But, um, <laughs> for both of us. For both of us. <laughs> Growing up, right, I think I immediately go back to like I played on the streets, right, on the sidewalks. I rode a bike. I skinned my knees. I mean, that was pretty much my story every single day. I was a bit of a tomboy. I kind of have two experiences. One, playing on the street in in Castle Hill in the Bronx, which is also where Jennifer Lopez is from. Hey. But uh, <laughs> a predominantly, you know, Puerto Rican and black community and, and just playing and like rough housing and having the time of my life. And then when I was a little older, we moved to a different part of the Bronx. And this is your mom and dad, you? So my mom, my mom was a single mom. So it was my okay. mom and I. And then I had a little sister when I was five. And... In the earlier parts of my life, I lived with my grandmother as well. So I stood there. So it's grandma, grandpa, my aunts, kind of the whole family together. And yeah, we played. And it was just, that was a great, I think, super great foundation. As I got older and was in school, we moved to a different part of the Bronx that had better public schools and, you know, a little bit more green space. We moved to Throg's Neck. What was interesting at the time was that that neighborhood was predominantly Italian and Irish. So I moved from being, you know, in my community with folks that looked like me to now, you know, where I was the only uh, brown girl in that space. And I still, you know, played outside. I still had, you know, that experience. I still rode bikes and rollerblade, but it was a very different situation. I had to be mindful of, you know, there were some people who didn't let me in their yards. There were some people who would never let me inside their house. We had some folks who I could come over and hang out, and there were others who, like, you stop at the gate and you can't even ring the doorbell. And what was that like for you as a kid? I mean, that must have been so different. You would just come from this community where yeah, there I think so many people like you and family. That was interesting because I didn't have words for what I felt. But it felt – I mean, I was on edge, right? And I was like, why am I not good enough? Why, why, why can't I come over for dinner? Obviously, we invited everyone else over. But a lot of questions around, you know – why are all the other kids allowed over and, you know, for Sunday supper and, and why am I not good enough? I mean, I didn't have the words to articulate, you know, what that felt like, but it felt uncomfortable. Yeah, that sounds really um, hard. And it was also different because with the kids that I played with, right, like for some of them, I didn't notice a difference. Like we played and we had a great time. Yeah. But when their parents were around, and especially as we got older, you can start to feel some of that tension. So it was... I want to say, you know, a little bit of like ignorance is bliss early on. I I didn't really know. I felt something, but I didn't have the words for it. And I think as I got older, I now recognize, like, I think that was the the first part of my life where I realized that things were different and who I was and how I presented because of my skin color, because of my accent would, you know, determine kind of like, you know, my path in life. Yeah. So this kind of otherness started to set into your story. Right. And at this time, your mom had gone back to school. 
Yes. Right? So she became an EMT, is that correct? Yes. And then went into dialysis. Mm -hmm. So healthcare kind of started weaving itself into your narrative as well. Yeah. So my mom had, um, prior to that, she had worked, I mean, she had worked in healthcare her whole life. So she actually worked at a clinic doing like administrative stuff, but then she actually went to be an EMT and a dialysis tech. Fun fact, there was always health around. I think you know, my grandmother had told this story of like, I think she was um, a housewife, but before that she really wanted to be a nurse. And so there's health had always kind of been in the house. I think if I go back, I'm sure my ancestors were healers or in a past life, I like we're all healers because health definitely had a prominent theme in my life and my upbringing. So when you finished high school and you were thinking about what is the next step, was it obvious to you that you wanted to kind of plant your roots in the Bronx and start giving back? Or what was kind of that path? And when we think about finding our purpose, it can be such a weave to get there. And I and what I'm hearing is that like health has always been an important part of your narrative, but how did we arrive to where we are? You know, I if if I can go back and I like look at my 16 year old self, oh my, like I, you're absolutely right. This was a zigzag of a journey. After high school, I knew that. Well, I didn't even know that I didn't want to go to college, or college was like an option, but I didn't even know that that was going to be something. In fact, I had applied and had gotten like a full-time job and I was going to take this job and not go to college and my mom woke me up the day that I was supposed to start um, and it was during the summer and she's like look do not take this job and please please just go enroll in college I will call out of work for you please go to college and we'd have like an agreement that either I had to go to school or I had to go to work and I was stubborn as one is at 16 17 and I was like okay fine like I mean, I'll go to work, and then finally, I was like, all right, fine, I'll go to school. And so when I enrolled in school, I went to a city college here in New York. I thought I was going to be a doctor. I was like, I want to be a doctor. I love the idea of healing, and I love the idea of, of pulling folks together. And so that was, I guess, my thought. I didn't know. I was the first person in my family to go to college. Wow. There wasn't anyone. I'm, I'm the oldest. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't know that if you were going to go into like med school, you probably should have done some like work in high school. And there are a whole bunch of things. Like you also would choose your college. Shout out to Lehman College. But I don't know that, you know, that was, I didn't have any forethought. I was like, oh, I'll just go to college and I'll be a doctor. It'll be pretty easy. Yeah. I learned really quickly that that wasn't uh, the case. And so I was like, oh, maybe, maybe, um, although I did great in my, my biology classes and my math classes, I'd done pretty well. But then for me, I actually had to, like, I had to drop out of college because um, my mom moved and I had to work and pay bills. So all that to say, um, the doctor was off the table. I thought I would be like a psychologist. That was off the table. I ended up having to work and I bartended and I was a waitress for a very long time. And then somehow, again, through this like zigzag, I made my way into marketing. And amazing. Yes. Though that wasn't even in healthcare. That was like <laughs> yeah. for like a beverage company. And then finally got into like healthcare marketing, which then kind of began this path. When did you start feeling at home in yourself? I mean, do I feel at home in myself right now? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is, I'm still a work in progress. I think. In probably in the last four years, I've really gained this confidence in who I am and I've like stepped into my body, my intuition, my purpose. 
largely when I started Radical Health, which also coincides with when I had my my son. So one could say that that was, you know, when I turned 30, when I became a mother, or just when I, like, finally realized, like, I've got a lot going on and I need to own this and, and, and really appreciate this. How did you find that catalyst moment? Like, you did, know, did you eventually, were you just like, oh, it's happening? So... I have a ton of like stories. You know, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and, and died when I was 22 years old. I didn't really grow up with my dad. And he came back into my life. And, and then also like the world, right? So seeing injustices play out in my community across the country, there's a, a phrase <clears throat> that's, and it's in Spanish, but the translation really is, you know, they've taken everything from us that they've even taken our fear. Wow. And I think that for me, there was a point in time where, again, I, I had just given birth to my son. I had a company that I had worked for that I didn't really feel super supported in. Everything was happening in the world where I'm like, what else do, what else do I have to lose? Like, honestly, at, at, at worst, at worst, I have to get a job, right? Like another job. I have to look for another job. At best, like, I could jump in and, like, be fully present and do this and, like, hopefully change the world. But it was in that moment where, like, I feel like I've seen and experienced a ton of loss, a ton of pain, a ton of injustice. That I felt like it was my calling and my duty to, like, jump in and, and try my best to do what I can. Yeah, duty is so interesting. I mean, that kind of definitely motivates my work when I think about, like, the cyclical inter intergenerational trauma in my story and I always think to myself like man it didn't have to be this way like man if only people had access mm -hmm. to mental health man things could have been so different if there was only access yeah and I think right if we're gonna like tie some threads in there it wasn't like I, I woke up I mean I also when my mom died I started going to therapy started really evaluating some of my patterns some of like you know the thoughts that were going through my head and, and also looking at some of these generational things that had happened, you know, for my family on, on both sides. Add to that, right, like an incredible support system of friends, a partner who also created like some stability and foundation and, and support for me, you know, emotionally. And I mean, a variety of things like, you know, other like work situations and mentors at work. And I think it was really a combination of all those things. And the other piece that I think was super important is just a community. Like I live in the Bronx and I had an incredible community of neighbors who also like, you know, were doing what they did for work, but then showing up and, and really showing what it is to like live and stand up for the things that you believe in, even if there is some cost. Yeah. And there often is some cost, a lot of cost, unfortunately. When we hear stories about the Bronx, because, like, to be real, like, I've never – I've been to the Bronx, like, a few times, but I haven't, like, been to the Bronx. Come over. We'll, we'll give you a tour. Okay, perfect, perfect. <laughs> Just for people who are listening who who think about, like, these areas of New York City, what is the Bronx really like? Oh, my. So there's, like – all right, there's the Google search. So if you Google the Bronx, you will see these images. I want you to, like, erase that. Erase that. The first thing you notice when I get off the train – one is that even before I get off and you're going like, you know, someone's holding the door open for you if you're trying to get through the big, heavy subway gates. But then you walk up and there's, you know, if there's a woman carrying a stroller, someone's there, you know, helping. We get up and then there's um, 
they're like, you know, older gentlemen who are like either sitting on like chairs or playing dominoes. I call them like neighborhood watch, but they're just there. They spend the day, you know, saying good morning, good afternoon, helping, you know, like little old ladies cross the street. There's usually like a doña who's like selling, you know, tamales or arepas or oh some God, kind of... I can't wait to come. You have to, you have to I come. can't wait to come visit. And I think that, you know, there's a little bit of like this, I guess you can say like this energy. And depending on, you know, the day and, and the mood, right, can feel... It can either feel a little hard, a little tough, but also like so freaking engaging. I guess that's the best word I can think of. There's this energy that like, like I feel super safe in my community. I was going to say, yeah, because what I'm hearing, it sounds like a community oriented. The words that are coming to me are like rough, dangerous, like. No, like resiliency is how I would describe my neighborhood. This is a community that, again, if you do that Google search and you look, you will see horrific things. But this is a community that against the odds where like systemic structures, right? So in terms of financing, in terms of over-policing, in terms of our healthcare institutions have been underfunded, they found a way to survive and thrive, right? And so to continue to build community, to raise families there for generations upon generations. I mean, that being said, like, there's the ability to glamorize some things. Um, and I think there's a really harsh reality that, like, you know, it's hard. This is hard. This shit is really hard. But also, like, the power, the wisdom, I mean, the brilliance, you know. Again, I think about, like, my grandfather. He would, um, things would break and he would, like, fix it and, like, you know, fix an umbrella with, like, a toothpick and tape it. And those are all the things that I was like, yeah, but I'm like, just buy a new umbrella, right? I mean, this is me and my, like, young, just buy a new umbrella. Why are we doing this? Why are you gluing things together? It's so silly. And now I can appreciate it, but, like, the Bronx being the epitome of that. Like, given something really broken that is designed to, like, stomp you out, extinguish you, my community and the people within the community have found a way to get super creative with what they have and what they know to build and to to create and to kind of sustain, right, life and joy and love. And many people will say, like, just, you know, like, throw it away, start again, you know, fix it up, make it shiny and bright. But I think that what we forget is that is, like, I mean, that is, I mean, one, that's the epitome of, like, New York City and what a New Yorker is. Um, that's true. <laughs> but two, like, those are entrepreneurs. That's, like, community. That's yeah, family. That's real. culture. I think those are all the things that, like, with very little, we've made very, like, a lot out of. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's amazing. And I can see how that kind of ingenuity ties into the work you're doing with Radical Health. And you had mentioned that, like, when your mom passed, that was a really big turning point for you. What was that sort of like for you? I think, you know, if anyone's ever, you know, lost a parent, that was probably one of the, I mean, hands down the worst thing I think I've ever experienced. My mom was my best friend. And so to lose her and to lose her so suddenly was really, I mean, gut-wrenching. I, there's also, I think, you know, it was just, it was a really, really rough time, thankfully. And I think this is where whether it was how my mom raised me, whether it was like my community, right, that taught me to be resilient. And also maybe like to be really honest, the privilege that I had working, I had, you know, made a great salary. I had a bunch of other privileges that allowed me to find 
you know, resources and supports, it helped me through that. And so when I think back about it now, I think of it as like one of the worst moments, but also a gift in many ways where at, you know, at 22, I now had like, again, like, you know, everything was kind of taken from me, but now I had a blank slate to define who I wanted to be, who I could be without the guilt or the projections or the things that sometimes come, especially in a Latina household, you know, I, I get to define who I am. And and for in many ways, even though it was super painful, it really allowed me then to choose, like, what are the things that I want to leave behind? What are the things that no longer serve me? What are the things I want to lean into and, and grow and, and cultivate for who I, who I will be as an adult, as a mom today, you know, as an entrepreneur? How did you do that? That's amazing that you had that perspective as a 22-year-old, like so much maturity and perspective well. to do that. So I'm just curious, like <laughs> I hear that and I'm like, man, I wish I was doing that when I was 22. I mean, I think now at 36, I'm just starting to, you know, with a lot of therapy, starting to kind of unpack that and not just unpack it, but try and build it. Yeah. I think, I mean, right, to be fair, at that age, like, did I know that's what was happening at that time? Absolutely not. It was literally one foot in front of the other. I think... Probably like it took me like a year or two after that, after her death to say, okay, like this is, you know, I'm going to choose, you know, a different path. Again, a lot of therapy and honestly, I'm, I mean, I'm still learning that now, you know, I'm, I'm 35 now and figuring out like, who am I going to be today? Who am I, I going to be this I next know. It's like year? One day by day, minute by minute. Totally. And leaning in, I mean, I hate the term lean in, but like, I mean, also like, Trusting the process. I guess that's a better way of saying it. Trusting the process. I'm a Scorpio. I have like, you know, control tendencies. And so a lot of it is like, and I think a lot of it back then was like, okay, I'm going to go to therapy and then I'm going to like do this career wise. And then I'm going to do that. And that's, I'm going to get married and I'm going to buy a house. And I had a a nice big plan. Um, But I think some of it was also like, well, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And and I'm just going to jump and I'm going to free fall. You always land. And just hope that the landing doesn't hurt too hard. What I hear you saying a lot and what comes to mind is like the word trust. Yeah. That you just trust the process. Trust the process and trust yourself. How do you trust yourself? Honestly, so this is some of the stuff that we're doing at work, right? Like how do we get people to trust themselves? I mean, a lot of it is like one, like, again, people have come before you. And I firmly believe that like your ancestors are always guiding you. They're always speaking to you. We all have that little voice that we have, like, I think as a culture, we've taught to, like, silence or not listen to. But it is the same way when you walk into a room and some people have been fighting that you can feel it, even though you don't know. Right. Yeah, totally. That intuition lives in each and every one of us. It is a gut feeling that tells you that you should get off the subway station, a stop earlier. It is the gut feeling that says, you know, I should reach out to a friend. Like, that voice, I firmly, like... I have to trust that voice and create space for that voice to like rise up. And I think that's like my first step. And the other way that I try to do this is trust community and trust people that I meet and friends and start to say like, you know, I'm thinking about the decision. I don't know what's happening, you know, but then trust that other people can guide me or show me or or even create some additional insights for me. I love it. I love that. I love what you're saying about creating the space to trust yourself. What does that look like? So for me, that is like 
One, it's like trying to get rid of this phone. Like, just get rid of the yeah, God blessed phone. <laughs> Seriously. Instagram. Um, the Instagram, like, take those breaks. Again, I am I'm talking this because I have a platform to talk about it. Doesn't answer. It's so hard for me to practice that. But I think, right, like, what are the things that, like, bring you joy and bring you life? I'm a restorative circle keeper, so I get to keep circles, and I think that helps a lot. So it's actually a space where there are no phones, and we're like, you what know. is restorative circles? So it uh, uses indigenous practice of circle keeping. So think about like meeting around a fire and celebrating a birth, or mourning a death, or resolving conflict. Our indigenous folks here, you know, in the U.S. and in Canada, um, I mean, we've been doing this for centuries. And so we use it um, at Radical Health as a way to engage in conversations and whether that's like build community and just check in or, you know, talk about and resolve like trauma or conflict that's happened. And so as a circle keeper, I get to hold space a lot and share I'm in just space being everything held. that you're saying, like the trust, the circle keeping, like I am just like in love with how you approach life and how you approach community and even how you approach yourself. You have so much openness to yourself and I think that's so beautiful but it's something that I'm like oh how do I like I had a I had a guest the other day and we were talking about like bottling our confidence from when we were a kid and how we wish we could just like that childhood play like bottle it and then bring it back yeah. <laughs> like as adults yeah. to help us through like when we're going through rough times restorative circles um you had mentioned that this is actually part of how radical health came to be yeah. Can you walk us through what is Radical Health? What are you guys doing in the community? Totally. So at Radical Health, we look at health equity in communities that have been largely underserved and historically like marginalized, right? So when we look at the idea of creating like this equitable health experience through conversations and meaningful conversations that happen both in person and online. And so a large part of it when we got started was literally at my kitchen table and we just started talking, uh, right? And so the idea that someone you can ask, like, you know, what does health mean to you, right? And, and, and again, just without really an agenda, but really to hold space so that people yeah. can talk about that and think, like, you know, what, what does that mean that to me? That is a great question. Yeah. In having those conversations, right, we learned really quickly that, I mean, one, everyone's definition of health is different, Two, that those definitions change. And for each of us, right, that that our definitions are different. Um, but then also, like, what we want is different. But then there's also a ton of synergies and a ton of, like, overlap. And so started having these conversations and then started getting really targeted in these conversations, asking people about, you know, drugs and overdose and what does that mean and what do you see, what do you want, what do you need? All these really hard conversations. Yeah, and surprisingly, right, like, again, without being connected, like, they, they might seem like hard conversations. But once you are sitting, you know, around in a circle and everyone's sharing, we realize, like, I mean, one, what we see are people want to talk. Like, this, what you're doing here is so important because people want to share. People are not afraid to do it. And it's so much better when you do it in community with so others. True. So we started doing that. And and then what we found um, were in having those conversations I kind of saw a thread where people were sharing stories, um, and especially around their experiences with the healthcare system. There were some good ones, but there were a lot of bad ones. And we found that people really didn't know how to navigate the healthcare space or to what their rights were and what they were entitled to. Yeah, I don't even know yeah. what my rights are. Yeah. 
And many people don't. How do we help people do that? How do we do that through these meaningful conversations? So we built out this uh, chat bot that you can text in um, in English and Spanish, and we give you questions to ask. Or you can ask a question, and we'll give you questions that you should ask during a clinical encounter. So something that you know people should know is that if you don't speak English, you're entitled to a translator. So when you go to the emergency room or you go to the hospital, legally, you have the right to a translator. And it's difficult. Spanish isn't like a provider's native language, but they're trying to communicate with you, and it's not your language, and you don't understand what's happening. You're legally entitled to a translator. You're entitled, right, to, to, to a second opinion or to speak to an attending. There are a ton of things that are like, you know, rights and, and standards. And more so when we start looking at um, black and brown women who are pregnant, um, at least here in the U.S., black women die three to four times more than white women. It's crazy. And that's like here in New York City. Yeah, that's, wild. you know, like, and the U.S. is like the most dangerous developed country in the world. Yeah, that report baby. just came out. Also, healthcare in general. I yeah. think I saw it yesterday where it's like healthcare in general, we're the worst in mm-hmm. regards to the developed countries. Yes, it's really bad. We know that a lot of that is due to structural racism and bias. So, how important is it to ask a question um, while you're there and, and have this engagement? And so, we do that through our tech side. I think about like, you know, when you go for your first job interview and it's like, do you have any questions? And you should always ask a question. We really believe the same is true in healthcare. And whether you're asking a question of a provider in a clinical space or you're asking questions with a neighbor or a friend and and having those conversations in any spectrum, the idea is that we need to be talking more. And through talking and learning and sharing, you're beginning to trust yourself. You're trusting one another. And hopefully we can, you know, fix this whole healthcare system. Damn, brings it all back to trust. That's yeah. amazing. I think that is such a good, strong narrative theme in your story. Mm-hmm. I think back about what you were saying, like as a kid on the streets in the Bronx, and then when you moved to this different neighborhood and you became the other, there is still such a strong sense that you knew who you were, even though it was kind of murky on the external environment wise. And then as your mom passed, and recultivating your identity then as a mom and how that influenced radical health. It's just such a neat thing to witness and bear witness to your journey and how it's all come together. Oh, thank you. I, you know, that's something I hadn't even like hearing you say. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I guess, right? And I, and I have all these questions. And I'm like, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see how it is um, in your work. And I've been thinking, you know, we talked about this outside in our um, lobby about being a mom and how it can be hard to figure out your purpose. When I was 23, I was like, oh my God, what's my purpose? And then I would turn 30, I was like, oh my God, I need to know. And then now 35 last year, I'm like, shit, <laughs> like what's happening? And even now 36, but this year, I'm just starting to realize like I can see how all the pieces are starting to come together. And when I think about the work you're doing with Radical Health, you are such an outspoken, determined young lady who will go to bat for people to make sure they're getting access to the rights that they deserve. And what I hear you saying a lot is authenticity in each area. Can you speak a little bit about what authenticity means to you as a mom and then going to the boardroom and then leading a team and then being in a restorative community with women and men in the Bronx, you know, because that's a different beast. You're in tech. Yeah. Lord knows, a woman of color in tech, we could go on and on on an episode just about that. But just for listeners, how do you approach authenticity? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for a long time, I 
played down who I was. I whitewashed myself in many ways. You know, I think I think about like going to job interviews early on and I would I wouldn't put that I lived in the Bronx. I would put like New York, New York because I knew that I wouldn't get an interview if I had wow. put where I lived. And then I would show up and I'd wear like a suit. Usually my hair is really curly and I look now I wear it out today it's straight, but like I would straighten my hair, put on like super simple studs and have like neutral polish and just be as basic as possible because I knew that that's what would like help me, you know, help people feel safe around me and, and hopefully get those jobs. Then once I had a job, you know, it'd be the same thing. I'd, I would often be the only woman, almost always the only person of color in a room. And, you know, there'd be like a racist remark and I'd just, you know, maybe even chuckle along, haha, and, you know, and just like play it as Man. safe as possible. That's, talk about restraint. <laughs> you know, well, yeah. Yeah. Again, therapy is so important. <laughs> But, you know, that was that was who I was for a really, really long time. And I thought that was my role, right? And I think now, and I think I love what you said about, you know, what is my purpose? What am I doing? I had the same questions. What I didn't realize was like in those moments, even when I felt like I had no purpose, there was still a purpose. And I needed to be in those rooms. And I needed to even, you know, change who I was in many ways to kind of play along in the game. One, so I could see how it was being played. But two, so on the other end now... I can be radically authentic. I can be who I am. And for me now, it's, I mean, less and less am I code switching. I feel like a lot of the times I, you know, I I would show up in one space and be one person and then, and I'd have like my office voice or my NPR voice at work. Uh, And then I'd be at home with my cousins and it's, you know, rah, 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 (laughs) and all that other fun stuff. And I think that now, more and more, I'm just like this, trying to be the same person in all of these spaces. So last night, I, I spoke at an event, and it was for diverse innovations in healthcare. And in the room were a ton of women, people of color who are all either in medical school or interested in being in health and in tech. And you know, for me, it was really important to like be really real and say, you know, I'm from the Bronx and, you know, I do health in the hood and and show an authentic side of like, I mean, show me really with all the colors and all the sass. And but leopard to, print shoes. Yes, leopard print shoes when I go out. Not just out. We were at a business conference. Yeah. <laughs> Last night I had on combat boots and like ripped jeans and a big hat and a fur coat. And I was just so extra. I love it. (laughs) And I was the only one that had on jeans, especially jeans with holes. And I had a few comments about it. But for me, it was just like, I need you to know that, especially if you're in healthcare, especially if you're in medicine and you want to do this work, you have to be your full self. And in order for, for you to have an impact. Wow. More so. I think in tech, what I'm really interested in is showing people like being being the representative that like actually you can do this you can do this in an authentic way you can be your full self and hopefully what i'm doing is like kicking down doors and walls and letting people see that you can you, you can just be you i didn't have anyone that looked like me doing what i was doing I, there are very few times growing up that i can think about like where i was like oh wow i feel seen like the Cosby show, like Rudy Huxtable, you know, I was like, oh wait, like she looks like me. There were very few spaces like on media. I mean, and then especially in corporate, like I don't see that. And I really just want to like show up and show out and you can, you can be hood. You can not be, you can bring in your swag, you you know, like you can do whatever it is that you want to do. I'm a mom and I, I, 
try not to lead with that because I feel like I often will get pigeonholed, but like I'm a full mom with a full child. I'm a partner. I'm a friend. I have all of these intersectionalities and I try to bring all of that kind of in everywhere I go. And I think it's the same thing we talked about earlier. Like it is an honor to represent who I am. It is an honor like for my ancestors to like bring them with me and my spirituality and my practices because they fought for me to be here. And again, like when I think about the future, like I hope there's a young little girl, right? An Afro-Latina from, you know, wherever she's from that can say, oh, wow, like I can be in a podcast and I can speak Spanglish and I can do whatever it is that she might want to do, but feel really comfortable in doing that and be able to trust innately who she is and how she shows up. You literally answered all my questions. <laughs> there's so much wisdom in everything you're saying. Thank you so much. That is so rich. Like, Wow. Thank you. I feel like this is like, I want to do this every day. Can we just? Oh my gosh. I have like <laughs> tears in my eyes. That's, that was fucking brilliant. Like, wow. You're amazing. I'm so glad you're doing the work you're doing. I can really feel the energy and your passion and the vision you have, how important it is for young women, not just in the Bronx, not just the work you're doing, but to see who you are and how you're championing them on to be themselves and to really pave a way. I honor that so much. My final question, I wish we had more time. Are you going to run for office? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I mean, I'm not going to run for office. There are great people who I think do great jobs and can do that. I think I have a lot more power when I'm not confined by a government job. Hey, true. It will be my job that if anyone is considering running, Let me know how I can hold you accountable and be radical and have everyone outside your office so that you can do the things that you want to do and and we can work together. I mean, I hear that you are in all of our corners and I really feel that. So thank you. And thank you for having the space for sharing and I think inviting me and others to come in here and share super vulnerably. And I think to that point of like representation, you're also doing it. And this work... It's never really glamorous on the back end, but I think it has so much impact and so much potential. And I wish, I wish I, again, if I was even last year, you know, to be able to see this and I wish I had this. I'm really thankful and grateful to be a part of this. So continue and and share in stories and we get to do this together. Oh my gosh, we could just go on for a million years. No, thank you. (laughs) Love best. I love best. See? Leopard shoe reunion. That's it. I'm Jessica Minhas, and thanks for joining us on I'll Go First. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our mission is to uplift and support you in your journey of healing. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, comment, and share. And if there's a topic you'd like us to dive deeper into or would like to share your story with us, we are available on all major platforms at I'll Go First and www.algofirst.com. We'll see you next time.